You're listening to teaching from Midtown Fellowship, a Jesus-centered family on mission in Columbia, South Carolina. If you're interested in finding out more about us, our family of churches, or how to partner with us, go to MidtownColumbia.com. Amen. So good to be able to worship together with the saints. Uh, if I haven't had the chance to meet you, I go by Ant. I get to serve as pastor here at Midtown 2 Notch. If you're a guest, if you're new, very glad that you're here. We would love for you to stop by our lobby uh, at the end of our service, at the end of our time together, where someone from the host team would love to greet you and meet you uh, if we haven't already had the opportunity to do so. If you have your Bibles with you, go ahead and turn to Matthew chapter 4. If you do not have a Bible, there should be a Bible right there uh, in the seat around you. You can go ahead and pick one of those up. Uh, and if you don't own a Bible, you can take that one with you. As we get set to be in Matthew chapter 4 this morning. Uh, we'll be continuing in our warrior series. Actually, this will be the last, uh, the last sermon in our warriors series. It makes me a little bit sad. It's bittersweet. It's bittersweet. We'll get started in Matthew chapter 4. Thank you, Landon. Uh, we'll, we'll get going in just a second. Before we get started, I want to uh, just recap a little bit about what the sermon series has been about, so we understand exactly why we're getting to the topic that we'll get into today. So for those of you who haven't been with us, we've been talking about fighting the good fight of faith, fighting the good fight of faith as warriors, and alongside, and a part of that is us understanding who our enemies are, what our enemies are, and how do we actually fight against the enemies that are against us in spiritual warfare as we engage in spiritual warfare. In any in any organized military, one of the things that's important for everyone involved to understand is that armies, militaries work as a unit, right? Many individuals involved, maybe with different roles, everyone working together for the same cause. Everyone in general abiding under the same principles, but maybe having different practices in how they go about accomplishing those principles, it's not effective, it's not the most effective thing to have renegade soldiers that are out doing their own thing, but it's better when everyone comes together and works toward the same goal. It is not best when all of the soldiers operate in a way that's isolated from the rest of the group. That's not practical. It's also not practical that, that, that every one of the soldiers is always in the same place, always doing the same thing. The best way is to separate into different units, into different squads, so that each squad can accomplish what it is set to accomplish, all seeking to accomplish the same goal. The militaries will be broken up maybe into different branches or different units. They often have different methods, depending on their context, that might distinguish each unit. God's plan has always been to spread his people across the globe, to grow his kingdom. He wants his name to be glorified in all the earth. After he created Adam and Eve, the first command that he gave them was be fruitful, multiply, and fill the earth. He always wanted to have a people that loved him, that spread across the entire globe, that his kingdom would stretch throughout the entire globe. So after Noah and the flood... Noah gets off the flood. He says he gives the same command to Noah that he gave to Adam. First thing he tells him, be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth. Because he wants this family, this kingdom of people that worship him to spread throughout the entire globe. As we think about being warriors and being soldiers, I want to make sure that we aren't thinking through it primarily through an individualistic lens. 
that you don't just see yourself as a warrior that's fighting a battle that just you are fighting. But when you think about soldiers, especially at this time when Paul is writing this, when the Roman Empire is dominating the known world, and there are different sets of soldiers all across the known world in the context that Paul is speaking into, I believe that as the the gospel writers and the New Testament writers were writing to their audiences, they had in mind this idea that warriors fight together, that we don't fight alone, that every military is broken up into units and the teams, and in the body of Christ, you know what those units and teams are called, right? They're called churches. In the kingdom of God, as we all fight together, we are, we are split and divided into local churches that all have the same purpose, that all are to abide by the same basic principles, though it may look different depending on the context, how these principles are fleshed out and how these goals are accomplished. But we fight together to try to achieve together the goals that we have been called to. Let me say it a little bit stronger. If your idea of fighting and engaging in spiritual warfare and fighting against the kingdom of darkness is primarily seen through the lens of you seeing yourself as an individual fighter fighting your own battles on your own, you're completely misunderstanding the concept. You completely missed the concept. None of the New Testament writers would have seen warfare in that light or in that way. They would have seen that there's a king. The king organizes the military, and the king leads that military into battle. And we fight at the pleasure of the king. Today, we'll be in Matthew chapter 4, verses 23 through 24. I want to look at those two things, principles and practice. We're going to look at a principle, actually a couple principles, at least in Matthew chapter 4, that I believe every church should seek to apply. And then towards the end of it, it'll be very practical, probably the most practical sermon uh, in, the, in the sermon series, because I want to be very specific about what is God calling us to as his church. As this unit of believers, of warriors that he has put together, how has he called us to fight together? If you're new, if you haven't been around much, I believe this would be very good for you, because you will see what, what are our goals? What, what do we want to be at long term? What, what do we want God to do in and through us long term? And, and also, if you've been with us for a while, I believe it will bring clarity and maybe be a bit of a refresher for some of us as well. So let's read Matthew chapter 4, verses 23 and 24 together, and then I'll pray for our time. And he went throughout all Galilee, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction among the people. So his fame spread throughout all Syria, and they brought him all the sick, those afflicted with various diseases and pains, those oppressed by demons, those having seizures and paralytics, and he healed them. Let me pray for us. Father, will you give us great clarity and great unity around what you have called us to as Midtown Two Notch? Will you help me to communicate very clearly what you have for us? Father, how we are to work together. What does it look like for us not just to fight as individuals, but to come together under the same mission, under the same goals, same purpose, and embrace what you have specifically and uniquely called us to as a church? Would you help us to rally around whatever you would have us to do and who you would have us to be? It's in Christ's name I pray. Amen. I'm entitling this sermon, The Marching Orders. The Marching Orders. In verse 23 and 24, we see an overview 
of the early part of Jesus's ministry. So this is before even any of Jesus's primary sermons that we have from him. He was tempted in the wilderness. He's come out empowered by the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit strengthened him, and now he's beginning his ministry, and Matthew is giving us an overview of his, his ministry in Galilee. And there are two specific things I want to make sure I point out about this, this ministry. It says, he went throughout all Galilee, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom. I want to make sure we have an understanding of how the, the, the New Testament believers would have understood the word gospel. If you break it down, it means good news. But generally speaking, gospel wasn't just good news. It was, it was, a, it was a special game-changing type of news. The way they would use the word gospel, they would use it to, to, to proclaim that, that we have conquered in our battle, that a military victory was communicated as gospel. This is something that, that changes, or changes or may define an era is gospel. Or when a new emperor has, has taken his seat on the throne, they will call that gospel. That's good news. This is good news that changes everything. Things are different now because of what has happened. We have won. The emperor is on the throne. That is gospel. That is good news. It's news of one kingdom coming and overthrowing another kingdom. There's a new regime, regime excuse me, that's running things now, so govern yourselves accordingly. So when it says that Jesus is teaching and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom, he's saying that the current regime is being overthrown. The kingdom of darkness that has set itself up in the world is currently being overthrown. It is meeting its demise. The kingdom of heaven is coming to destroy and do away with everything that sin and the kingdom of darkness has done. He has come to free the world from the curse of sin. He's saying that through Jesus' perfect life, his death, his resurrection, his ascension into heaven, his return to the earth, his, his kingdom is coming to, with all power to make things right again. He's proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom. He's going to make everything back to the way it was before the original sin of man in the Garden of Eden, where there was perfect communion and fellowship with God, when Adam and Eve enjoyed perfect relationship with each other. This is gospel. This is the good news, that he's doing away with all the corruption, all the, the pain, all the decay that mankind and his creation are experiencing for all those who believe in him. And all who place faith, hope, and trust in him can be with him in his kingdom. It's literally the solution to every problem on the earth. That King Jesus and his kingdom are literally the cure for all our brokenness and all of our sickness. That his forgiveness is the cure for our guilt. That his sanctification is the cure for our slavery to sin. His reconciliation is the cure for our broken relationship with him and our broken relationship with others. His adoption is the cure for all who feel completely alone in this world. His garments of righteousness are cures for all those who, who, who revel in self-condemnation and his own condemnation on the cross as he dies for our sin is the cure for the fact that we deserve the very wrath of God for our sins. And his return is the cure for all of the pain and heartache and grief that we suffer in this life. He's proclaiming the cure for all of his creation as he proclaims the good news, the gospel of the kingdom 
of God. But he doesn't just proclaim it. And this is my favorite part of this short passage that we have. He doesn't just proclaim it. He doesn't just talk about the fact that, as I, as I talked about last week, that one day for every soldier that fights in his kingdom, we're going to be able to take our war clothes off. And we're going to go on to be with him in eternal peace forever. He, he doesn't just proclaim it. Look at, look at what he does. Read verse 23 again. And he, he went throughout all Galilee, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction among the people. He's proclaiming the kingdom that's going to come and take away every bit of pain and suffering that we've experienced. And he's also healing and doing away with the pain and suffering that he sees the people that are around him going through. That he isn't just proclaiming this kingdom that's going to come and make everything right and do away with the curse of sin. He's actually bringing healing and they're able to see the curse of sin disintegrate before their very eyes. He is putting the kingdom of darkness on notice. This is what your end looks like. This is what it's all coming to. I'm about to bring healing for every hurt, every amount of pain. As he's forgiving people's sins, he's revealing what he came to do. That the kingdom of darkness comes undone in his presence. That the brokenness of our world cannot withstand him and his forward move in his kingdom. There's no disease or sickness he can't cure. There's no one who sins so much that he cannot save them. The curse of sin can't stand against the power of his redemption. Every affliction that seems to be overwhelming us, he will come and overwhelm and do away with it. So at this time, as Jesus is doing this, he's getting pretty popular. Verse 24. So his fame spread throughout all Syria. And they brought him all the sick. Those afflicted with various diseases and pains. Those oppressed by demons. Those having seizures and paralytics. And he healed them. They brought him all the sick. Everybody that they could bring, everyone they could find that was sick, and he heals them. People oppressed by demons, people having seizures, people who are paralyzed, and he heals them all. He proclaims the kingdom where all who are sick, who come and place faith in him, will be healed. And then he gives them a picture, a a portrayal. He portrays what the kingdom will be like when it gets here as he heals all that are brought to him. It's giving us a picture of the fact that all who come and place faith in him, who come and submit to him, can be healed. He doesn't just preach the gospel with with words. He combines it with deeds of love that bring relief, ultimately, that his kingdom is going to bring to this earth when he brings heaven to earth. He's not just all talk. He's not just a Christian that can talk a good game that can preach a good sermon, but he also combines his message with acts of love that reveal who he is, that reveal what his kingdom is ultimately going to be about. He brings relief with him. And they brought him all the sick. There is no one that he cannot heal. The person that you know of, that you might believe, there's no way they can actually come to faith in God. They brought him all the sick and they were healed. Maybe the person in your family that you've been sharing Jesus with for a while, they brought him all the sick. That there's no amount of darkness that he can't conquer and overcome is what he's revealing. That there's no amount of of doubt that anyone has that he cannot overcome. That there is nothing that sin has done to his creation that he cannot do away with. He's proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom, and he's portraying the gospel of the kingdom. 
He proclaims that he's going to make everything right. So we should respond by repenting and believing in him. But he also portrays it as well. And if we are followers of Jesus, then we must be those that proclaim and portray the good news of the kingdom. We proclaim the gospel of the kingdom and we portray the gospel of the kingdom. We join Jesus in in telling others about his perfect and righteous life, his sacrificial death, his resurrection from the dead, and his return to make everything right. We call people to repent, to, to, to switch teams, to join his kingdom. We proclaim that. We proclaim the kingdom, but we also portray it. We want to live in a way that shows off what the kingdom of God is like. One of the ways that we've said it around here is that we want our community to look more and more like heaven every day. Amen. That we want it to look more and more like heaven every day, where, where as in heaven, everyone knows God, follows God, believes in God, trusts God. We want to call men, women, and tr- children to know God, love God, trust God, and place their hope in him. Just like in heaven, no one is hungry. So when we are able, we want to meet the, need, meet the needs of those that we are around. We want to proclaim the good news of the kingdom and portray the good news of the kingdom at the same time. We want to be a family of believers that function as, as an embassy of heaven. That when people are around us, they see the type of love that our king has shown to us and that he desires to show to them and reveal to them as well. We both proclaim the kingdom, and we portray the kingdom of God. And we do this in many different ways in our church, in our life groups. We want to always be reminding each other of the fact that we've been saved by his grace and by his kindness, not by our works, not by anything that we have done. We didn't earn his salvation. We weren't good enough for his salvation. Christ was good enough in our place, and through faith in him and our union with him, We are saved as he is condemned in our places, not because of our power, not because of our strength, but because of his power and his strength. We want to be proclaiming the good news even to each other, and we want to be there for each other in times of need. Whether that's a shoulder to cry on or meeting a tangible need, we want to be bringing relief to those who are suffering under the effects of sin, just like our Savior here in our Sunday services. We want to be proclaiming the good news of the kingdom. We do that through our songs. We do that through the sermon. We do it every Sunday as we approach the communion table and remind ourselves and remind each other of his death and his resurrection. We also want to portray the kingdom of God on Sundays as well. We want people to feel more welcomed when they walk in these doors than they feel anywhere else. We want this to be a place that anyone who comes in can feel welcomed and loved because that is how the kingdom of God is, that everybody who comes in is extended his welcome and is loved perfectly. We want to be always proclaiming and portraying the kingdom of God. We want to do this in our kid town ministry, where in a variety of ways, we want to be proclaiming the good news of the kingdom to the children that God has entrusted to us, to every child who comes through the door, that they will be prayed for, that they are old enough to understand that they will have the good news of Jesus proclaimed to them week after week after week. And we want our volunteers and our teachers in Kittown at the same time to model for them what life is like in the kingdom, that we would teach them, we would love them, that we would welcome them just like we welcome anyone else in our church, and that we would teach them what it looks like to live under good and loving authority as well as that is how it works in the kingdom of God. We seek to do this in every area 
of our church, every area of our church in one way or another, for our purposes today and for the rest of our time, I want to talk about and get extremely practical about how we want to do this in our church in terms of outreach. As far as the people who may not come into our doors, people who may not join one of our life groups, how do we as a church want to live out these, these principles of proclaiming and portraying the good news of the kingdom? How do, we, how do we want that to look now? How has it looked in the past? What do we want it to look like in the future? I want to get as practical as I possibly can. And we must know what our specific marching orders are as a church. So I want to start by giving a quick overview of what outreach has looked like for our church in the past, and I'll talk about where we are now and then where we want to be going forward. Our church started in 2013 because of a desire to see God's kingdom come with power in communities along Two-Notch Road that have been riddled with poverty. That is what initially united us, all five of us, Amen. at the beginning. But it was a strong five, right? It was a strong five. Yes. This is what initially united us. You see this in the Bible over and over that God calls his people to be near the poor. Right? I tell people all the time, there's only one socioeconomic group that God calls his people to be around and be near over and over and over again. That's the poor. God wants his people to make disciples everywhere of all peoples, regardless of class, regardless of ethnicity or anything like that. But he specifically, over and over again, tells his people to be near the poor, near the downtrodden, near the oppressed. And we believe God has called us as a church to specifically focus on the handful of impoverished communities here around Two Notch Road. And, and as time went on, we kind of labeled it down a little bit more to in between Taylor Street and I-20 on Two Notch Road that all impoverished communities, communities riddled with poverty, that eventually we want to be consistently portraying and proclaiming the good news of the kingdom in these communities. My desire has been that in some way we would have a consistent presence, a consistent presence of proclaiming and portraying in every one of these communities, every pocket. By communities, we said that could be a neighborhood, that could be a school like Benedict College, it can be a variety of things. Anywhere where people are coming together to do life together, we want to be proclaiming and portraying the good news of the kingdom of God. So when we started having weekly Sunday services in February of 2014, uh, one of the crazy things that we did was pretty much every week after the service was over, we had a little after party. Yeah. We had a cookout. Right. We've been asked to bring those back, if you can't tell. We've been asked to bring those back. We had a cookout pretty much every Sunday. We were in the middle of the Pinehurst neighborhood on a, on a, a road called Schoolhouse Road at the time. And in that neighborhood, if you're new, kind of coming around, there, there was houses all around. I mean, we were right in the middle of the neighborhood. And so when we had these cookouts, anybody from the neighborhood who wanted to come was invited. Anybody who wanted to come, yes, come. And we wanted to build relationships. We believe we were displaying the love of Christ in, in many ways. Our hope was that people would get involved in the life of our church. We grew chicken, burgers, had pork chops one time. Amen. We had music. We usually had games. If people from the neighborhood would come out, we'd be able to extend love to them in a variety of ways. Many people actually don't know this because uh, we, didn't, we didn't want to broadcast it, but we intentionally cooked more food than we thought we were going to need for our people that showed up. 
Because we would have people coming from time to time saying that they were hungry, they were in need of food, and we didn't want it to be a situation where we were embarrassing anybody. So we just intentionally cooked more than we needed. And then if someone came and was asking for food, it's like, yeah, we can fix, we got a little bit extra. We can fix you a few plates as to not try to heap any type of embarrassment onto anyone. We were seeking to, to portray the good news of the kingdom where everyone is taken care of and well fed. Also, around that time, and probably even a little bit before this, uh, Aaron Kelly's life group was, was walking around the Pinehurst neighborhood on Wednesday nights, meeting people, building relationships, and seeking to share Christ with people as well. That was really something that we wanted to be a primary focus of uh, our church. It was pretty difficult uh, for a variety of reasons to get a lot of traction as far as getting people in our church involved, so we struggled with that. But very cool and great relationships uh, were built. I remember one time... Uh, I don't remember the name of the apartment complex that was right on Two Notch. Courtney, you might be able to help me. Uh, not Four Seasons, the, the one on Two Notch Road, what we, where, I can't remember the name of it. Um, but we, it was a neighborhood that uh, Courtney was in a life group at the time, in Aaron Kelly's life group. And I remember we were taking them some of the food that we had left over. Um, I, think the, I think the apartment may have been condemned at this point, but uh, what's, what's the name of it? The Star Hotel, Star Hotel, Star Motel, something like that. So we were, we were building relationships with people over there. I hadn't met anybody, and uh, Aaron's life group had gotten to know them for a while. So I was like, yeah, I'll come hang out, feeling super nervous. Right. Uh, and then <laughs> I got there, and, you know, we're, we're, they're, they're talking to people that they already know. And I remember thinking, I don't know what to do to try to build relationships with people. So I just started asking people, can I pray for you? <laughs> Literally, it was just the first thing that came out of my mouth. And people were like, yeah. And it was unbelievable how just from that question, people began to share difficult and trying things that they were dealing with and that they were going through. And I was able to not just pray for them, but encourage them in the Lord and share Christ with people just from asking, hey, how can I be in prayer for you? That ended up over time beginning to affect the way that we think about doing ministry here. At that time, we also threw block parties on Saturdays. Now, we had cookouts on Sundays. Now, the block parties on Saturdays, we literally just kind of added a bounce house, invited Pelican Snowballs out, and called it a block party instead of a cookout. That was basically what we, what we had and what we did. It seemed to work, so we stuck with it. A lot of people from the neighborhood would come out. I mean, I remember almost every, almost every week being like, man, I don't know if anybody's going to show up. Well, we got all this food. And then, you know, when the thing starts, nobody's there. After about 30 minutes, everybody's there. And an hour before it's over, the food is gone. And it was amazing. It was wonderful. We got a lot, I got a lot of feedback from people in the neighborhood about how welcoming our church family was. We were, we were portraying the good news of the kingdom. I, I always wanted to figure out ways to get people more, again, plugged into the life of our church because that was a struggle for us. And then, uh, I don't know if Trey Mons in the room, he had the idea of doing a health fair as he was over, over outreach. And the health fair was, I believe, by far the, the best uh, outreach event that, that we have done. Even when we were getting the word out in the neighborhood, people were excited about it. I believe we, we were beginning to learn how to portray the kingdom of God a, a little bit better. Uh, at the health fair, Palmetto Health came out and did free health care screenings for people. I think we did about 30 or 35, the first health fair that we did. And it was just, and people were extremely appreciative. And the next Sunday, between the next Sunday and the one after that, I think we had seven people from the neighborhood show up on a Sunday after the health fair. And so we were, we were able to begin to see, okay, we were connecting the proclaiming the good news of the kingdom with the portraying. And so we said, okay, we want to be able to do more health fairs. This was really good. But also that was the first time we did our farmer's market. So our farmer's market, we realized that, that Pinehurst could be qualified as a food desert. It's a place where many people didn't have a lot of consistent transportation, and there were no grocery stores within a mile 
of where our church was located in that neighborhood. So many people are taking the bus, or, or if they have any type of transportation, many are taking the bus. Not everybody, but many were. And so oftentimes in those types of communities, you see decreased health, decreased life expectancy, decreased quality of life because of a lack of access to healthy foods at that time. So Tremon figured out a way to, to be able to invite a farmer who could come in who could take government assistance like EBT and things like that for people to be able to pay for fresh vegetables and get those foods in their homes. Because oftentimes what's in walking distance is, I think, like, like Church of Chicken, McDonald's, Burger King, uh, convenience stores were there. But it made it difficult for people to eat and live in a, in a healthy way. So we brought a, a farmer who came out, and it was a huge hit. I mean, everybody loved it and appreciated it. And someone came and asked the question, like, could we do this more often? Could we do the farmer's market more often? So we got on the horn, we, or got on the phone, I should say, and contacted the, the farmer. I just went back home real quick. I don't even know how that happened. So we, we, were inviting, we, we invited the farmer back twice a month on Sundays right after our service was over with. So you would literally walk out the doors, and the first thing you would see was a farmer and his table and his, his tables and his tents and his goods that he was selling to the neighborhood. And again, he was taking government assistance, which a lot of people in that neighborhood were using to be able to have food. So we felt good about being able to give access to people, give people access to healthy foods that they had not had previously. We saw that as a way to portray the good news of the kingdom of God as we continue to proclaim him in that neighborhood. And then in January in 2019, I did a sermon on evangelism and our need to be near the poor. And after the sermon, it was actually the first sermon of the year, uh, January of last year, we just, I just asked everyone, hey, would you pray about joining me? And I don't even know if we had the term prayer walk at the time. I just said, join me in walking around the neighborhood and praying for some of the neighbors. For me, that had been the thing that helped open up people to conversations more than anything else. I was like, I'm going to start doing this every week, every Sunday after service, as long as the weather permits. And by weather permits, I mean if it's not raining. I don't mean if it's 90 degrees. Uh, but as long as weather permits us to do so, then I'll do that. And I would love for you to pray about joining me. I'll be honest, I was expecting about four or five people uh, maybe to join in. And for the first few weeks, that's what it was. It was about four or five people. And then I remember one Sunday, about two or three months later, we had 15 people walking around the neighborhood praying for uh, members in the community. I think we had 60 adults show up that day. And we had 15 walking around the neighborhood and praying for people that we were able to meet. We ended up setting a goal that we wanted to be able to get to every home, every door, in the Pinehurst neighborhood to offer prayer and ask, is it okay if we come back to continue to pray for you and continue to encourage you and just get to know you really and build a relationship with you? And we ended up doing that, and I believe we had, I believe it was 70 homes where we were invited to continue to come back and share the love of Christ with them. Amen for that one clap. Amen. I appreciate that. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. And we were able to build relationships pretty well for the most part doing that. I think people felt that love that we were seeking to extend to them. But at the same time, I felt like we were struggling. It was difficult a little bit uh, for us to uh, communicate the good news of Jesus doing that. And maybe some, uh, some, some hesitancy, some insecurity, some fear that we had. So we came up with a thing that we call our encouragement cards. One of the things that I noticed when I was walking around is the thing that people said they appreciated uh, to me the most about what we were doing was that we were so positive and encouraging to the people who were there. 
So I was considering that, and at the same time, I was thinking about, man, I want to equip us better to be able to share and proclaim the good news of the kingdom as we're sharing his love and being there for people. So we made a, a thing we call the, an encouragement card. It's about the size of a credit card. It has one verse, one of those scriptures that talks about the gospel in one verse, like uh, John 3.16, for God so loved the world that he sent his only son, and whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. Or the scripture in, uh, in 2 Corinthians uh, about hey, he put our sin upon himself. He who knew no sin became sin for us that we might become the righteousness of God. And we just asked our prayer walk team to do two things. Number one, ask them if you can read the encouragement card to them and then share how that scripture is an encouragement to you. Two things. Read the verse that's talking about the good news of the kingdom of God and, and ask if you can share why that verse is encouraging to you. It can take two minutes. You don't have to preach a sermon. It can be one minute. It can be one sentence about why that verse is encouraging to you. And I remember the first Sunday that we did that, there was, there was a woman in the neighborhood that we've been trying to get to know a little bit better for a while, and uh, our, our prayer walk team came and shared it with her, and she was like, oh, can I put this on the back of my phone? Like, I need encouragement throughout my week. Can I just continue to refer to this throughout the week? And we were like, absolutely, absolutely. And honestly, for the, for the first time for me, I remember thinking, I think we're getting into our sweet spot for both proclaiming and portraying the good news of the kingdom of God. Part of the reason I said that is because one of the guys that I've been building a relationship with in, in Pinehurst, he said different things to me. Like He's like, Aunt, when y'all were coming around and praying for me, you guys were literally the only people that were coming and checking on me on a consistent basis. He said, I had no one else who was consistently coming and checking on me, but you guys were consistently at my door knocking, asking how you could pray for me. He said, he said I felt strength when you guys came around. He's like, I literally felt encouragement and strength to be able to do more and be more active when you guys came around and prayed for me. Almost exactly a year, a year ago, July 23rd, 2018, we had our last Sunday service on Schoolhouse Road. So I think that's a year and, what, five days ago, something like that. Building got sold, we had to find a new location, which obviously we're really sad. One of the cons of that is we're no longer in that neighborhood that we've been in. One of the benefits of that, though, of that, though, if I was honest, I, if I'm honest, I always knew we couldn't be there long term. To be honest, we were already maxed out on kid space for our kid town ministry. So we knew the writing was on the wall, but it was still extremely sad at that time. And honestly, since our desire was always to be effective witnesses for Christ along the whole two notch corridor, I felt we needed somewhere a little bit more central and a little bit more visible for us to best accomplish what God had always called us to. That the call was never just to do ministry in Pinehurst, but rather the entire two-notch corridor. So we saw some of the good, we saw some of the bad, but we had to rethink our strategy and our methods because we were doing some type of big outreach event probably four or five times a year, if not more than that. So I went to Tremont, who's over outreach, and I was like, all right, we're moving, Tremont. I need a proposal from you about what to do going forward by early 2019, the beginning of this year, right? So now we're getting closer to, to where we are right now. And as he was putting that together, I don't know if you remember, if you remember, we, we sent out our member checkups about that time, early this year, and we just do that every year just to try to figure out what are the strengths and weaknesses of our church and what ways can we better take care of the flock. And a lot of what we saw was really good and was really encouraging, uh, but we also came to a realization of something that really changed some of our, our methods and really more so where we put our energy as the church and the leadership of our church. Uh, and we found out, if I can just be honest, a lot of us, a lot of the members in our church were either struggling financially from an aspect of not having enough income or really struggling financially from not having acquired the skills of how to manage money correctly. 
And this was something that we knew had been a problem really, or an issue really since our church started. But now going forward, I mean, we were five years in at that point, and it was still a significant problem. And so we had to have a lot of our leaders trying to change what we were thinking and what we were emphasizing in our church because we felt we really had to be able to walk with our people a little bit better. So we kind of tabled a lot of our bigger outreach events. So if you've been around, that's why we haven't had a lot of our outreach events recently as we're trying to put together plans and ways to train and coach up our members on financial health, largely because, honestly, without financial health and without the consistent contributions of members in our church by tithing, we won't be able to continue to accomplish the mission that God has called us to, right? We won't be able to continue to welcome more and more people in as ministry does require money. We know that Jesus uh, and his disciples had money for what they were doing because we find out that Judas was stealing money from the bag that they had. So we had to switch a little bit of our focus, a little bit of our emphasis from our leaders. So not doing as many big events, those are on the back burners now. So this means that our prayer walks are the primary focus of outreach and ministry in this community that we have. Does that make sense what I'm saying? That we, 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 almost, we have a plan A as far from an outreach standpoint, and there's no close plan B. That our prayer walks are how we're able to continue to build relationships, share Christ with Jesus, with the, I mean, sorry, share, share the love of Jesus with people through our encouragement cards that we have. And so here's what, our, here's what we currently need as a church to continue to step forward into what God is calling us to. We need more people in our church that can be members of our prayer walk team consistently. I'm talking three plus times a month is a huge need for us right now. If we as a church are going to do what God has called us to do, to continue to proclaim and portray the good news of the kingdom of God all along the two-notch corridor, we need consistent volunteers, servants, warriors who will fight against the kingdom of darkness through our prayer walks. And and here's one of the reasons, if, if I'm being honest. So we've been here for right about a year now. We just moved out on Schoolhouse Road for a year and we have these, the, the benefit of us being able to be more visible to other areas and other communities. I believe by the beginning of 2020, we got to start looking at other neighborhoods that we can prayer walk around to meet and share Christ with. That we've been in Pinehurst. We got there in 2014. It's been five years, at least since we've been in the Pinehurst neighborhood. I believe that going forward, if the mission, if the goal, if the marching orders for us are all of Two Notch Road, and we're currently closer to other impoverished communities than we are to the Pinehurst neighborhood. I believe we need to expand. We need to start thinking more about what other areas, what other neighborhoods can we begin to, to be consistent witnesses for Christ as we portray and proclaim the good news of the kingdom. And we need to, if we're going to do this, our prayer walk team just has to grow. We just have to have more people involved. We have to have more consistent participation in our prayer walks. Some of you, as I'm saying that, are like, he crazy. I ain't walking around that heat. You know how hot it is? It's Columbia, South Carolina. Humidity on 100, temperature on 100. Others of you were like, don't he know football season about to start? Don't he know what we usually do after the church service is over with? That we usually go to an air-conditioned place, maybe watch football, eat food. And to that I say, for the last 13 weeks, we've been talking about the call to be warriors. For the last 13 weeks, we've been talking about the, the, the call to be those that lay down preferences, that lay down comforts for the sake of the mission. I'm not saying everybody in here has to be a part of a prayer walk team. That's not what I'm saying. I am saying 
that sometimes we let weak excuses get in the way. I am saying that sometimes there are things that we could sacrifice for the sake of the mission. That, 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 our, that, our, that our willingness to sacrifice does not line up with our identity as warriors in Christ. That we don't approach the mission of God as a warrior approaches the mission that God has called him or her to. So one of the things I want to consistently say, hey, I'm not saying everybody is called to, to join the prayer walk team, but don't let a weak excuse stop you. There are legitimate reasons, but don't let a weak excuse stop you. Don't let just only preferences stop you. How can one be a warrior and say, no, it's too hot for me to fight today. It's too warm. I'll sweat if I fight today. Since I brought up football a little bit earlier, what's going to happen a few times this year in Williams-Brice Stadium, there's going to be about 80,000 people in that stadium for about three to four hours. It's going to be 95 degrees. And it's going to be 80,000 people in that stadium. And it's going to be about 100 degrees. And the humidity is going to be on 100. Why? Because they love it. Because they love what they're suffering. Even if they're not winning. Even if they're not winning. They're still going to be there. Why? Because they love it. Because people always sacrifice for what they love. People always sacrifice for the causes that they care most about. Always. Always. I do it and you do it as well. I remember one time I was in uh, Austin, Texas. I'm not sure if you're familiar. They're uh, famous for their, their brisket, the barbecue. And I remember somebody was telling me about this, this, this restaurant. Apparently, Michelle Obama had been there uh, at, at some point. It's famous restaurant. I was like, okay, cool. Let's go. We got there. It, it's generous to call it a restaurant. It's like this, this booth that's outside where they're making this barbecue. And there is a line that's like wrapping around. We were in line for 50 minutes in the middle of the summer in Austin, Texas. Because people keep coming back to this place because no matter how it is, it's worth it to them. No matter what they have to deal with, because the prize is great enough for them, they endured it. I want to share a video with you to remind us of why I'm asking for this level of sacrifice. I want to share a video that I think will help for my friend, uh, Mr. James, who uh, is one of the people that we would... Um, meet with, and we've met in the prayer walk, and also has joined us for some uh, prayer walks as well. Y'all, check this video out. <laughs> so how did I first meet the member of Two Nights? Um, actually, I used to go visit a friend of mine named John that was living on Schoolhouse. We would see these people walking up and down the street, and at first, I, I, I was like, man, who is the big, tall, white guy walking on, two, on Schoolhouse? And um, everybody was like, I thought it was police or something, you know what I'm saying? Looking like a cop. <laughs> but um, come, I mean, John was like, no, man, that's the new church that moved down the street, right? He said, everybody's cool. He said, it's nice. So at first, I was skeptical. It took me, it took a couple of weeks for me to really, a couple of visits back and forth to really get up the nerve to just go down there to one of the services. But when I finally went down there and met Aaron, Mark, and in the crew, I mean, it was really nice. And I mean, it was literally, it did a lot to my life. It's, I mean, it really opened up a lot of doors for me. And, and not to mention, the music was just extra good. Amen. And it actually has been a life-changing experience for me because living over here and I don't have any transportation 
Midtown was the perfect church for me, living in Pinehurst, because it's right up the street. And not to mention the things they were doing for the community. It, it, it really changed my life. They've been there for me. I started going to the life group meetings. And I started going to, to the prayer walks they was having. And, and the, seeing the things that they was doing to the community, especially the kids, the kids. Christmas time, I had, they got me, asked me would I play Santa Claus. Oh man, and that was that was really nice. That was really nice. <laughs> hey man, Midtown, Midtown is it's really it's, it's, it's 100 in my book, and 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 I really miss them from being so close in Pinehurst, and the neighborhood kind of misses them too. But it has been a life-changing experience for me. I mean, for the better. Very very nice. I mean, it's been. Influ influential in my life, not only mine, the people that they knock on the doors, people from the Pinehurst neighborhood, they, they asking me now, because I'm about the only one they see around with the shirt on again. Are y'all still coming back around? Are y'all still? But I'm trying to get as many members there as I can, because it's, it really is one of the best churches that I've ever been to in my life. First time I've experienced a worship gathering, man, it was very, it was moving. It was really moving, man. It, it, it really it, it got in deep to my soul. The word that was preached got into my spirit, and, and it, it just, it just you could feel it. You could feel it. You could feel it. You could, I mean, you really could feel it. I mean, from the bottom of my heart, I mean, right now, it's not a day don't go past that I don't wake up and think midtown, and I think just, just being able to turned my life around because I was going through a lot of experiences and I didn't think nobody was, nobody cared and I just got away from God. But until I got back with Midtown, it really has been a lot of changes in my life, a lot of important changes in my life. And they've always been there for me, for everything. If I'm going through anything, all I have to do is pick the phone up and call. And, and then one of them is there and say, well, let's pray about it. And that's it. And it seemed like after the prayers come, Man, things, life changed. Everything happens, man. Everything happens. So, Midtown, to me, thank you. And I appreciate everything that you do. And the neighborhood misses y'all. And they want to know when y'all go. We're going to come back to walking around. So, I'm telling you, keep it 100. I love you. That's worth giving your life for. That's worth giving your life for. Amen. That's worth sacrificing comfort and ease and whatever you were preferring to do. That, that's worth fighting for. That's worth being hot for and sweating for. We'll give you a bottle of water if you need that. We'll give you whatever you need. That is worth sacrificing for. What will God do if we committed ourselves as a church, even more than we have, to walking around, praying for the ones that he loved, that he made in his image, and sharing Christ with them, consistently proclaiming and portraying the good news of Jesus in the area he's called us to. How many more stories like that might God send us and allow us to be able to be grateful for and allow us to be able to celebrate? I believe this is what God is about in and through our church. If somebody were to ask you, what, what does your church think about and how does your church go about being missionaries in the areas that you are called to, I hope you think about Matthew chapter 4, 23 and 24, that we proclaim and we portray the good news of God. And as you think about the primary way that we do outreach, I hope you think about 
our prayer walks. And I hope you'll pray about joining the prayer walk team. I hope you'll pray about it. If you're married with kids, we've had, we have a family in our church where on some Sundays the, uh, the wife and the mother goes, on other Sunday the, the, the father goes and as a way of them sacrificing for the sake of the mission of what God has called us to. Because I believe that God will continue to change lives when we submit ourselves to him as he calls us to be his warriors together, specifically through, through our prayer walk ministry. Let me pray for us, and then we'll transition into communion. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for the orders that you have given us, for the plan that you have laid out for us, for the fruit that we've seen from the ministry that you have given us. Father, would you rid us of anything that would prevent us from serving in the ways that you call us to serve, loving in the ways that you call us to love, and proclaiming and portraying your kingdom just as you did? Fathers, we partake in communion today. Will you remind us of the sacrifice that you made for us that we might know you? You remi- we remind us of what you sacrificed, of what you suffered under, of, of the pain that you endured so that we will come to know you. Would this not just be a thing that we remember on Sunday, but would you make this a part of our lives, that we sacrifice, whether it's prayer walks or otherwise, that we sacrifice to proclaim and portray the gospel of your kingdom. It's in Christ's name I pray. Amen.